The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, this week's message. Um, I'm very happy to be here with all of you. I wish I could see you in person. Uh, There's nothing like seeing everyone's face and being able to connect that way. But this is where we are, and uh, this is what we have. When I was a little kid, um, I was raised Catholic. And um, right from the beginning, I was baptized and uh, confirmed and even did a year at Catholic school. By the time I was around maybe seven, I began to understand who Jesus was and what he was about. And it was one particular Easter that I remember so clearly, uh, watching the 1927 black and white film, The King of Kings. And when it came to the end of the film, when Jesus is on the cross, I began to weep so hard and I remember sitting in my parents living room and crying all the way through the end of the film and if you haven't seen the film before here's a little clip from it that I'm showing as I'm talking to you Uh, you can see how uh, the sky becomes dark and God has wrath on the people who killed his son At the time, I didn't think so much, it wasn't so much about, uh, I didn't think much about God's wrath at the the end of the film. I was so taken by this guy, this person, who was so gentle, so loving, so caring about everyone, and I wanted to know more. I was hungry for more, and I um, became a ferocious reader of the Bible. I, I, those of you who know me know I tell this, these stories all the time. Fourth and fifth grade at lunchtime, I would hold little sessions where I would read from the Bible and counsel my fellow classmates on challenges that they were having in their lives. And uh, I uh, was really struck by the... The, this person's ability to be with anyone, to be with the weak, the poor, the sick. Uh, there's something about it that deeply touched my soul. And, uh, you know, by the time I was 12 or 13, no, the time I was 11 or 12, I had a shrine in my room. Uh, right under my Beatles poster. This is the oddest thing. And I read the Bible every every day. And then it was about right around 12 or 13 that I began to become discouraged with the Catholic uh, religion. Some things just didn't add up to me. And I there were so many things that I didn't understand. Uh, again, those of you who know me always hear me tell the story of uh, when I was in uh, w- the one year I did at Catholic school, the St. Francis de Sales, where I would 
asked the question uh, to the teachers, uh, you know, Jesus rose from the dead on uh, the third day, and the first person he came to was Mary Magdalene, and the teachers would say, yeah, well, how come she's not an apostle since she's the first person he came to? And immediately it would be down to the office. So uh, there was always this rebel thing in me. And, uh, you know, right about that time when I was 12, 13, 14, and I felt my disillusionment with the Catholic religion, I began looking at all the religions of the world. This is when I started reading, I, I think it was the first time I read Martin Luther King's biography uh, and so many other uh, spiritual leaders that I found to be compelling and interesting. And one of the things that always struck me was their ability to be nonviolent in the face of unbelievable um, adversity. Anyone else would have lashed out in anger, and they did not. And that was another thing that just really uh, spoke to me. Today's Spirit Flicks film is The Camden 28. And I have a special relationship to this film as I uh, did the closing music credits for the film and also sound design and uh, the sound mix. The, the film, The Camden 28, was directed and produced by Anthony Gacchino. In 2007, it was aired as part of a the POV series on PBS, and it was met with high critical praise and received an 88% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It also won an award nomination from the Writers Guild of America for Best Documentary Screenplay. This is how the film starts. What do you do? when a child's on fire. We saw children on fire. What, what do you do when a child's on fire? In a war, that was a mistake. What do you do, like write a letter? So Father Doyle's question there. What do you do? What do you do? The story of Camden 28 is about the story of 28 deeply devoted Catholics who believed in the teachings of Jesus, particularly uh, the teachings of the New Testament, and were committed, deeply committed to helping working with the poor in Camden. And through the course of the film, you, you meet some of the, the key figures. Uh, Father Doyle is very well known. I recommend you check out some of his writing. He has a book of poetry read by Martin Sheen, and it is very powerful. And uh, the Barrigan brothers are well known in this area as uh, the keepers of the faith, if you will. But back in the late 60s, early 70s, they were on the front line 
of protesting the war in Vietnam. And that question that Father Doyle asks, what would you do when children are on fire? What would you do when every day there's caskets coming back from uh, the war and it's mostly poor black and brown men? And what strikes me about this story is these deeply religious and spiritual people decided to do an act of violence, an act of destruction. They were going to break into the draft board and not only destroy, but take and destroy all of the uh, draft cards and um, save a grouping of young men from being drafted into the war. At least that was the idea. So, a little bit of history. In the late 1800s, certain Christian theologians, particularly Catholics, found the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament and the left-leaning political movements of the time had shared goals. Uh, issues of social justice, economic inequality, poverty, alcoholism, crime, racism, sexism, universal health care. These were also the same causes of the labor movement and the socialist movement, the communist movement, that all started to take shape around the late 1800s in the United States. I strongly recommend, if you're interested in this, to look into uh, the, some of the um, writings on the social gospel and later uh, in the 20th century, the liberation theory. These are the foundations for the actions of the Camden 28 and, and, the, and the Christian left. But there is a question that is so... Um, Ways has been weighing on me the past couple of months as we are in this pandemic and as there is so much civil unrest. And that is the question of when and if do we cross that line into being violent, into destruction. I can't tell you how many people, friends of mine, have been calling me asking me, what do you think of BLM? What do you think of the violence and the rioters in the streets? And I am torn. I understand. What do you do when you're not heard? What do you do when you say, take your foot off my neck? My foot's not on your neck. Take your foot off my neck. You're crazy. Okay, I'm going to kneel. I'm going to protest. You're un-American. What do you think you're doing? Please take your knee off my neck. No. You become enraged. It's understandable. So this question, when do we cross this line? So I look for examples. Of course, there's the example of Jesus in the temple. 
fashioning a whip. And he forces those doing commerce in his father's house out. He flips over tables in a, in a rage. The secular history of America is full of stories like this. And from our beginning, the Boston Tea Party. In today's dollars, they did over a million and a half dollars worth of destruction that night. And, you know, that is an act of violence. And yet, we find that to be okay. Now, I have noticed uh, a level of fear and unease in um, some of my cisgendered male friends. Many have confided in me and said they're thinking of buying a gun. These are progressive, left-leaning, sensitive, emotional men who are feeling a sense of fear and unease that's unprecedented. The women I know don't seem so inclined. I don't know if it's because they're more evolved or just used to living with fear and uncertainty, or maybe they've embraced universal love. Not sure, but it further raises that question should I be preparing to take up arms? So again, I am struggling. And on this, uh, I feel like I'm teetering on the edge of a, of a pen. Or what way is the answer? Where, where, do, where do I look? Where do I find this answer? A couple weeks ago, I talked about, uh, I mentioned, when I was worship leader, I mentioned spending some time with John Lewis. And uh, I know I played it a few weeks ago. I want to play this quote again. So people could put lighter cigarettes out in our hair, down our backs, spit on us. We were going to still adhere to the way of peace, to the way of love, way of nonviolence. I never, ever dream of hating someone or putting someone down because of their race, their color, of what they did to me, of what they said to me. The way of love is a much better way. So, that love, that love is more powerful than fighting, than lashing out. That love is so, so powerful. Um, a way of understanding and expressing that love that John Lewis and Jesus embody. Uh, John Lewis told me this amazing story. Uh, the police officer that beat him came with his son and he wanted his son to see him apologize to John Lewis. And when John Lewis was telling me the story, I, I had tears in my eyes. Uh, I, again, I'm a, an emotional guy. So it's not that unheard of for me to cry. But what was striking about it is that he was not bitter, angry, 
he welcomed that guy in and accepted his apology. And there's very few people like that that you meet that are at that much at peace with themselves. And I think it does speak to that um, that discipline of holding that space for that kind of love. You know, many of us know the story of the, the Sermon on the Mount and um, where Jesus talks about uh, turning the other cheek. But there's so much about that story that is that is that is not communicated without knowing the culture of the time. So when he talks about turning the other cheek, it's not to say, oh, let that person hit you again. It's more about, it, it, it has to do with the culture of the time. If someone strikes you, they most likely struck you with their left hand and it would be a backhanded slap. If you turn the other cheek, they are... Um, forced to strike you with the right hand and an open hand. The left hand is always used for unclean purposes. It's a challenge for that person to punch you. And this is seen as a statement of equality. Thus turning the other cheek, it's persuading, it's demanding equality. And I want to tell you this story about myself. And again, I want to be clear, this is not to make myself out to be some perfect person. It's just an example of the power of what Jesus is talking about here and also what John Lewis is talking about. And um, that is, um, when I was in uh, eighth or ninth grade, I would be able to leave science class early. And... In leaving science class early, uh, because I had finished the entire course for, uh, of, of study for that year, I would, I had finished it in January. And interestingly enough, a little side note, my science partner who sat with me, uh, for both, uh, 7th and 8th grade is actually a rocket scientist. <laughs> he worked on the Mar, he works on the Mars mission. And if he's watching, hey, Mike. And uh, so um, we would be done science class. So, well, so one day the teacher wasn't in the room. And one of the tough guys in my class, he was uh, on the football team and very big dude. Oh, by the way, when I was skinny, I mean, when I was younger, <laughs> I was very skinny. I was like a 80, 90 pound scrawny, skinny, awkward, gawky person. So uh, I wasn't this <laughs> big bear of a guy that you see before you now. And so uh, as I got up to leave the class, the uh, kid stood up, said, go sit back down. And I'm, when I was younger, I was so naive and stupid. I would like, no, it's okay. We can go. I'm going to go play chess. I'm done with my work. Go sit down. No, 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 it's all fine. Teacher knows. It's great. We go every week. It's it's okay. We're going down to the library and play some chess, and it's, it's cool. I said, sit down. If you don't sit down, I call you out. I'm like, no, there's no reason to fight. It's all good. I can go to the library. And 
Um, and so he slapped me across the face. And I was afraid and enraged. But um, I stared him in the face for what felt like an hour, <laughs> maybe a minute, maybe 90 seconds. And then I walked past him and went to do what I was planning to do. I went down and go play chess. He never, ever bothered me again, ever. And it really spoke to me about the power of standing in your convictions, in love, in that there is a power that we can tap into if we are strong enough that is stronger than any violence or uh, anything that we are afraid of that comes at us. Now, this is not easy. And um, I know for myself that in this particular time when I am um, when I am torn, it is because I'm afraid. It is because I want to control what's coming at me. I want to know that I am safe. And we're never safe. We just aren't. Anything can happen at any time. But I have seen time and time again with people that I've met personally and that I know who are so deeply committed to this love and it really is inside of them that they walk through the world and it's not that they're not aware and it's not that they're not they're not stupid or uninformed but boy are they walking with the angels um I've been lucky enough with my work uh when I ran a nonprofit working in the inner city working with um at risk youth and also various people I met over the course of the years of my life and they are very very clearly protected by uh this this thing that is not easy to see but boy, when it's enacted, it is more powerful than a gun, more powerful than a fist, and really hard to do. So, what happens in the Camden 28? Bob Hardy, one of the members of the group who was opposed to the war, plan he was having trouble with this breaking of the law and with the action, and he was feeling torn between that and his loyalty toward his friends. And so he approached the local FBI. So he was now sort of an inside informant for the FBI. Now, the tricky thing that happened was, you know, here's this group of very conscientious Catholic, you know, there's priests and people who are deeply devoted to the the cause 
and the faith and belief in Jesus and the Beatitudes, how do they know how to break into a federal building? So the FBI ends up handing them everything that they need. And the night of the raid, they're caught, and there's a trial. And at the trial, something happened. Something shifted. And the Camden 28 were acquitted. And it was the first time that the anti-war movement had a victory in court. There were groups before, maybe you've heard of the Chicago 7, and there's other groups just like that who were all... Um, took up um, violence against, uh, in some way, civil disobedience protests, and uh, they all went to jail. But this time was a turning point. And it was so powerful in that they were freed, and the war ended shortly thereafter, because the tide had turned. What is amazing to me is that, to me, in some ways, them getting caught was actually more powerful than um, if they had succeeded in destroying everything and, and ripping it apart and taking the draft cards. Because if they had succeeded in that, I think the sentiment would have been very similar to how some people feel now about some of the rioting that goes on. Oh, they're destroying things, they're rioting. But seeing how the FBI actually helped them break into this, into the post office, it made the people in the general public think, hmm, there's something not right here. And maybe they're, they're on to something. There's something not right with this war. The power of love that John Lewis and Jesus talk about is the power to be a mirror, to reflect back, to show injustice, inequality, and to have that strength to sit in that love. Well, that's divine. So, I have a desire to be safe and to feel safe. And I wish for all of you to feel safe and be safe. But even more, I hope we can find the courage and the strength to stand in that love that is so powerful and that can defeat an army. And I feel like I was at a party a few weeks ago and someone said to me uh, this, this, this line, and I said, and I'm going to say it now, I feel like I'm remembering this from the future. Love already won. Would you pray with me? God, Spirit, Gaia, Mother Earth, 
give us the strength, the courage, the fortitude to live in that light, that love, that you send your angels and saints to teach us, to show us, and that we may find a way to hold it, live it, share it, and be it. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.